Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 416th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast with just the right cardboard sunscreen to get you through this hot Eldrazi summer. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into the amazing things that happened this week. But before we do, I want to remind all of our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week? Packed house this week, James. We're going to lead off with our Metagame Week in Review. We've got a Pro Tour to talk about and a 75k Open. Big events going on. As a result, our top paper movers is chock full of craziness, stuff that nobody saw coming except for some geniuses at the Pro Tour, maybe. Segment three, top movers online. Segment four, you and I have cards to watch coming up. And for segment five, our weekly topic, we've got to review the Pro Tour, and we've got reveals from Fallout coming out, Assassin's Creed, Modern Horizons 3, even some Bloomborough news. So it's wild stuff out there, man. Busy week indeed. Let's dive right in. We've got the metagame week in review. We're looking at the Pro Tour. Pro Tour uh, Murders at Karlov Manor was a pioneer Pro Tour. And even though Black Red has been a mainstay mid-range, uh, you know, top three deck in the format for the better part of 18 months or so, I don't think very many people were ready for the spin that LSV and his team put on it with Black Red Vampires, which is basically leaning into Soren Imperious Bloodlord being able to, on turn three, put a Vein Ripper into play and dare their opponents to survive that process. As a result, Black Red Vampires was a bit of a surprise brew for the tournament. It was the best performing deck of the tournament, uh, an excellent meta call from the people that were on it, and indeed took down the entire tournament in fantastic fashion, finishing in first and eighth in this top eight with Seth Manfield winning his second Pro Tour. This is also somebody who, of course, won the World Championship at one one point, so very, very impressive uh long-term play from Mr. Manfield. He was running four Vein Ripper, four Soren, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker alongside the usual suspects like Thoughtseize and the various kill spells. Uh, the final was against uh, Simon Nielsen, if I'm not mistaken, running Boros Heroic. This is a deck that basically costs $20 if you don't include the lands. Even with, <laughs> with the lands, it's less than 200 bucks. And he took it right to the top of the Pro Tour. So pretty cool stuff. Lotus Field was in third. They're running three copies of Archdruid's Charm to go get their namesake land. They also finished in seventh. Amalia Combo showed up in fourth place, running four Court of Calling and Amalia herself alongside Return to the Ranks. Blue Red Phoenix did put 
get into position in 5th and 6th with the standard four copies of Phoenix, Shredder, and Picklock Prankster out of Wildsville Drain. And uh, overall, a great tournament. Lots of good play on camera. Probably the craziest thing I saw all weekend was apparently there was a way for an indestructible wild growth walker to stall out games when they when Amalia combo uh, tripped over that situation. And I think there was a, a match in the top eight that went to like seven many games. many games. Yeah, that's just insane. I was watching this, so it's it's pretty great. There were two different ways for um simon to mess with the combo and uh one of them is uh defiant strike which is just gonna give it one extra power and so when it would resolve at 20 it actually resolves at 21 so you don't get the amalia trigger there and the other is uh Laurent's escape which gives a creature indestructible and so it's it's pretty amazing that if you can't beat the combo you just say, uh, no, let's try this game again. And it ended up working because he was able to uh, set off the draw when it was necessary. And uh, Edelson just couldn't get through it on the other games. So it's it's really impressive the way that this all came together. And uh, the fact that we got some on-camera infinite loop draws is pretty outstanding. Yeah, for sure. So... Pretty pretty amazing pro tour overall, as we're going to see uh, cards related to that Black Red Vampires deck. Big, big winners this weekend. Pretty cool to see a non-modern pro tour driving cardboard again. Uh, you know, something that felt like it was never going to happen in the midst of the, the, you know, the height of the pandemic lockdowns and so forth. But last several major tournaments have, have all had a pretty decent effect on on standard pioneer or modern cards and you know we've got a new deck emerging here pushing the cost of related mythics up that's kind of where you want to be now over in the other big tournament of of this weekend that was actually a bigger tournament in terms of total number of players it was already over 550 players in this standard $75,000 pastimes tournament at the at the Chicago Magic Con very cool looking standard here. The whole thing was taken down by Slogurk Combo, running four uh, Nissa Resurgent Animist, three Slogurk, and two Atraxa Grand Unifier. Blue Black Aggro was in second, fe- featuring two Shieldred, three Gix, two Lazav, and two Fairy Mastermind. Esper Rafine was in third and sixth, running four Rafine, and in the f- in the case of the third place list, three Fairy Mastermind. In the sixth place list, two the Wandering Emperor and four Wedding Announcements. So slightly different configurations overall. Blue White Control showed up in fourth and eighth, f- featuring four the Wandering Emperor, four No More Lies, the new Mana Leak for Pioneer, and three and four copies of Temporary Lockdown, respectively. We also had a four or five, I guess it was a five color control featuring three attracts, a four Archangel of Wrath, three Invasion of Zendikar, and three Temporary Lockdown, finishing in fifth. And then a Squirming Emergence deck showing up in seventh with three attracts, a four Picklock Prankster, and four Squirming Emergence. The Emergence is probably my favorite deck of the tournament. There's some really neat things going on in this Saltai deck that just wants to keep recurring the Obscura Storefront Riveteers Overlook lands that go find you a, a basic and get you a life. But this Squirming Emergence deck is trying to just mill itself, do these things. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Founding the Third Path, which lets you cast an instance of sorcery two or less from your hand for free. 
then mill yourself, and then you get to pay and cast a thing from your graveyard. It's just so easy to fill your graveyard so quickly, and then you cast Squirming Emergence for a one with the multiverse or a portal to Phyrexia. Uh, what are you going to do against a resolved version of one of those cards? You're going to you're just going to be sad. Attracts of the Grand Unifier just holds it all together as a great thing to bring back or cast for free. And then the rest is just mill myself, get some value, mill myself, get some value, terror tied to wipe the board, and uh, keep going. Uh, it's all beautiful, beautiful things in here. Seemed like a lot of cool competitive play that went down in Chicago this past weekend. Moving right along to the top paper movers and checking in on some of the impact of these tournaments. Reality Smasher Secret Layer version. This is from, I think, a year ago or so, going 14 to 20 on the back of the news that there are uh, there is an Eldrazi sub-theme, including hot new versions of the Titans, as I called on cast a few weeks ago. Not that much of a surprise for anybody that was paying attention a year ago when they first gave us the uh, key art for the set and it showed all three titans uh, striding across the landscape. There there were definitely early signals. But now that they've been confirmed, you're starting to see that movement as a result. Eldrazi Temple is also in that secret layer. That Those uh, non-foil versions going $29 to $40. I would imagine you're going to get... You have a decent chance of getting new art on... Things like Temple, hard to say if Reality Smasher catches a reprint here. They haven't really used the Horizon set to reprint uh, modern cards that are not new to modern or from prior Horizon sets yet. So if they right. do it here, that will be a change in policy. So something to keep your eye on as we get more reveals from the set. Knight Errant of Eos, Extended Arts, at a, uh, uh, that's... I want to say all no, it's a mom. That's a mom card. Uh, going six to nine dollars on the back of that Boros Convoke deck, and then Voja still being the top commander of the last couple of weeks, still moving some cardboard. Damning Verdict, which is an NCC card, so if you opened uh, Streets of New Capenna CBs, you probably have some of these sitting around. Has now gone from eleven to seventeen dollars, having risen from single digit low single digits uh, closer to release. That's good in Voja because you have a bunch of stuff that matters with counters on it, and this kills right. all the stuff that doesn't have a counter. So it's these one-sided wraths that they keep putting up, uh, putting out have been good for me in all the decks where I run them, and uh, not surprised to see people wanting to pull it into Voja. Also saw Tolsmere Friend to Wolves at a War of the Spark go foils go three to four fifty or so. Also going to be a Voja card there. Temporary Lockdown is proving to be an important sweeper for early plays and token creature tokens as well as some of the various artifacts that can tend to litter the board these days in Magic the Gathering. And as a result, you've seen Lockdown go 5 to $8 in extended art, and I wouldn't be surprised if they peak over 10 here before all is said and done. That seems pretty likely given the amount of uh, foolishness and, and super fast decks that are pl- parting around in standard. Foil etched cards continue to be targeted. We've got Conqueror's Flail out of Double Masters 2022, going 11 to 18, 63% gains there. We also saw that there are energy themes not just in the upcoming Fallout release next month, but also looks like they're bringing back energy in MH3. So in the same way that they have pulled vampire and dinosaur themes through a few different sets in the last six months, 
and also pulled clue themes from Doctor Who through to MKM. It now looks like that they are also pulling energy themes through Fallout and into MH3. As a result, you see some movement on some of the prior energy cards, including Gonti's Etherheart, a uh, energy-related mythic going 5 to $9 in non-foil. And then you also see Etherworks Marvel taking another sweet swing upward, 5 to $10. That one seems like it has a chance to show up in the Fallout deck, but we got the full list uh, right. of the follow decks on Friday. Was it actually in there? Nope. Okay. I don't well, believe sense, uh, either Gonti's Heart or uh, Etherworks Marvel were listed in there. So then it becomes a question of whether it's a special guest card in Modern Horizons 3. It could like, be. Yeah, there's, there's always going to be that uh, particular chance that with special guests and secret layers and stuff. They're just giving us another way to you know, be a little bit nervous about getting a new premium version of something. The thing is, if MH3 collector booster boxes are going to be $300 plus, and special guests are going to be Mythic, and Marvel stays Mythic, which seems entirely likely in that circumstance, as long as it's not printed as a rare into the main set, I don't think that regular copies would be impacted by a fancy version showing up. You're being logical about these things, James. We know that people aren't always logical. And just the knowledge that there would be more coming would be enough to keep the price from rising for a while. But I, I think people might be onto the fact about special guests being, so far, pretty rare pulls. But we'll we'll see what uh, actual distribution numbers we are, we're given when we get closer to actual Modern Horizons 3. Basic version of Soren and Prairius Bloodlord, the... Uh, foundational four of in the Black Red Vampires list that took down the Pro Tour, going 14 to $40. If you've got those sitting around, this is your exit, folks. Yeah. This is your exit. There was, this was first talked about last spring, like Soren doing selling things, because there was a Galta and Maverin. Right. Like a ridiculous, the Everybody Vampire to play Obs on, though. Yeah. There was a vampire-dinosaur combo that where nothing really came of it. It was fooled around with for a couple of weeks and then it kind of discarded. But turns out Soren was just waiting for Vein Ripper to show up to, to really be good. So we also had Necro Skitter out of Eventide, 7 to 20. I, I didn't catch exactly what's going on there, but I'm assuming it's uh, something to do with the Fallout themes. I think so. Which one is Necro Skitter? It's, it gives creatures wither, I believe. Oh, whenever a creature com- controls with a minus one, minus one counter on it dies, you may return that card to your battlefield under your control. This may be related to the new Massacre Girl, but uh, we it was only present in Eventide and then Modern Masters 2015. So uh, I'll do some more checking and we'll see what we come up with. Yeah, let me see what the inclusion rates are like on the, on Massacre Girl. Yeah, it looks like she's it's 83% of the Massacre Girl decks and top commanders of the past week. Does Massacre Girl show up anywhere? Uh, not the top 25, but she does make the top 40. Yeah, I mean, this it wouldn't have taken that many people buying copies to make it go crazy. There wasn't there aren't that, that many There aren't that many printings of Necroskitter, is the yeah, thing. Just the two. Surge foils at a 40k continue to get slowly but surely picked off. Pox walkers this time going four to eleven dollars. We've also got fiery inscription showcase scroll foils going one to three dollars. Sloan was on the floor at Chicago and said that in talking to a bunch of vendors, uh, in including booths that he's worked for in the past, the 
there was a definite sense that the Lord of the Rings holiday release was in short, increasingly short supply, and that as a result, the showcase scroll versions of popular cards were going to be under pressure. I mean, that makes sense. We've already seen several of them go crazy, and the showcase scroll is a pretty version. It's much better than an extended art, and uh, I, you can get it on commons and everything. So yeah, I I would be in favor of of that viewpoint. You should definitely stock up on whatever scrolls exist of things that make you happy for whatever personal use you want vein ripper is the other of the two mythics that anchor the black red vampires deck that just won the pro tour regular copies went seven to twenty four dollars 242 percent gains vein ripper showcase 550 to 20 or so 263 percent and then soren imperious bloodlord secret layer borderless foils 13 to 45 i picked off four copies of the secret layer that comes in for 27 a piece last night uh so hoping to get those cracked and flip out the sorens and keep the uh, scoop the other stuff for future sales as five or ten dollar items let me ask you something here james i bought uh two weeks ago i bought uh, i think three different invisible ink vein rippers for commander decks of mine um because it's just so good and uh, lots of creatures die i love having this effect if you were in that boat where you'd bought several and you could, you know, flip them for more than double, would you sell, resell them and then buy them again later? Or would you be uh, fine holding on to them now? Yeah, I'm pulling the Vein Rippers out of my decks to sell because this is just too good of an opportunity. I think the Invisible Inks were, had gained the least. Uh, right. But they are down to seven listings and they start at $40. So <laughs> maybe I will. Think I think you have to take that exit while you have it. Yeah. Man, that's a that's a great flip, and you just you proxy that up for as long as is necessary to get. Yeah, I'm in. I think I'm in for something like ten or eleven dollars, and if I can flip it at forty, that's a no brainer. Yeah, Uh, I was also looking at Soren Markov Judge Foils. I made made a note in the Discord today saying, you know, there's no Edgar Markov, not not sorry, Edgar Markov. Yeah, 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 Edgar Markov Judge Foils. It's only ever had the Judge Foil printing. And the regular printing, and I think it was Commander 2017. They're doing those headshots again. They showed us off Lelia for MH3, which is a Commander card they're bringing into Modern for no particular reason. There's no no reason to believe that they would bring Edgar Markov into Modern, but people need to understand that MH3 is quite specifically, and they flagged this during the reveals in Chicago, going to have a bunch of relevant commander cards so there's going to be cards that are going to be legal in modern but aren't necessarily going to see play in modern and that's not all that different than what we already saw with mh2 and given that those profile cards tend to work best on commanders things like the ur dragon from last summer wouldn't be surprised at all to see markov show up here as a financial anchor for the set because he's very pricey sure that would be an easy way to make sure people felt good about spending the increased money on these if you knew that there was going to be uh what's the cheapest edgar at these days like 80 dollars well there's only it would be the pack foil and that right. one is a hundred bucks no damn so yeah putting these in uh even though we all know if you think about it for a second that price would not hold at eight at a hundred dollars because they the supply is tiny and they would be hard pressed to print a better vampire commander uh, if they put this in, out in any kind of quantity, that price is going to drop. But still, having it out there means that people are going to be more excited to buy this set. Over on Magic Online, it was you know all about Pro Tour 
MKM as well, the Black Red Vampire deck leading the charge on big gainers. Path of Peril is their sweeper of choice, and that rare out of Crimson Vow went 4.74 ticks to 15.15 ticks. If you drafted Vow, you probably have Path of Peril sitting around, so you're going to want to sell those while they're floating over 10 ticks. 220% gains there. Vein Ripper was up from 1.36 ticks to 10.4. 665% gains, and Soren Imperious Bloodlord, 2.37 ticks to 19.5, 700% plus gains. If you were paying attention as that Pro Tour deck emerged and you made a move on Magic Online, you will have been rewarded in very short that, order. Yeah, and it's, it's much easier to make that kind of move on MTGO, so I hope people were able to pay attention to our Discord channel and make their money. Jumping on over to cards to watch, I'm going to key in on some of the most important news related to Modern Horizons 3, which got all sorts of reveals. There's an article, a first look at Modern Horizons 3, up on the uh, Wizards Mother site. And one of the biggest reveals of the weekend for MH3 was, of course, Emmercool The World Anew, a new version of the classic Titan. Costing 12 colorless mana, it's a 12-12. When you cast the spell, you gain control of all creatures' target player controls. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be cast cast from your hand. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be cast from your hand. You could be casting it from Exile. You could be casting it off of Dothy Voidwalker or something. Well, from the command zone is the other one. Yeah, very, very nasty indeed. And then flying protection from spells... So instance and sorceries and from permanents that were cast this turn. So even something like a leyline binding or an oblivion ring can't target this thing. Very nasty indeed. When it leaves the battlefield, you sacrifice all creatures you control, but they got to find a way to get rid of it. Good luck with that. And for the capper, for the capper, it didn't need this at all. No, it but did not. Mad- madness pay six colorless so if you can find a way to discard this you can get it into play for just six i have a giant stack of madness cards that i thought would be big with uh one of the falcon wrath uh when they did the last madness theme so uh, those might have a chance to get there uh this one is just begging for any kind of board wipe there's nothing you can really do about it like what does this leave you can do in the turn. You can't have it come into play and something dies. Uh, you can maybe snag it if you can instant speed out uh, something like a Fleshbag Marauder to make target player sacrifice a creature. But you, man, this is this is a hard one you're, to beat. You're, you're not get, you're not going to get it with Fleshbag Marauder because it just stole all your creatures. So they're going to sack one of your yeah some creatures. kind of instant speed thing. Yeah, but you're right. It's it's a hard sell. So we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of shenanigans on this. It's really psych rift. Buh. No, it's protection from. Oh no, it doesn't matter. Stupid yeah, psych, psych, psych rift. Psych, psych, psych rift works. They also that also means that we're probably getting the other two titans. It also means you're gonna get a bunch of Eldrazi cards supporting them at rare, uncommon, and potentially common. They also showed off a snow covered wastes. Right, and I think. One of the the designers for the set said it was the snow-covered waste, Eldrazi waste, had been in the card file right from the beginning. So they're being very cheeky here because the last time they made Eldrazi too good in modern, it was deemed Eldrazi winter. It was, if I recall correctly, you could basically play Tron, Eldrazi Tron, or Amulet Titan, and that was about it. 
Like that right. was the, the only two no. decks that were, were really viable at that point for something like four or five months before they banned uh, relevant cards to, to get it out. I think it was Eye of Ugin. Eye of Ugin was, was the big ban because you were just reducing everything far too easily. Because with yeah. Eye of Ugin and Eldrazi Temple, you're casting you know four drops on turn two. So they're being very, very cheeky indeed to give us snow-covered uh, Eldrazi Waste to reference Eldrazi Winter and set up a new potential Eldrazi Summer. Oh, I missed that joke entirely. Uh, Eldra- Eldrazi Waste, uh, Frozen Waste, Eldrazi Winter. <laughs> funny, funny, funny. So all of that Eldrazi action means that I'm taking a pretty hard look at Zuladoc Void Gorger. Uh, extended arts these have come down to ten dollars since it was released as a uh, cmmcb include that also has a foil version that came with uh, zuladoc's deck last summer and they already gave us a bunch of eldrazi specific stuff in that deck last summer and zuladoc was the emergent best eldrazi commander to come out of that i've got the deck fully built i've Played it a bunch of times. It's a fantastic deck. Very strong. Only going to get better with more Eldrazi stuff coming. They did show off that there is a five-color Eldrazi premium and regular deck coming out alongside MH3. And one has to imagine there's going to be a whole bunch of additional new Eldrazi cards in there. As a result, you know the, the lead Eldrazi for that deck or its lieutenants may end up supplanting Zuladoc, but something tells me the cascade action off Zuladoc is just too strong and that most of the new Eldrazi are just going to get put into Zuladoc. And as long as they are have colored mana symbols but are uh, colorless, I forget what that ability is, devoid? devoid. Yeah. Yes. As long as those cards are all devoid, they still go into Zuladoc and it's just going to make that deck better and better. So I'm looking at these these ten dollar EAs that are hanging around out there to go ten to twenty during Eldrazi summer. You know, Zula Doc has proven to be uh, pretty amazing and very popular. I didn't realize they'd gotten as cheap as ten dollars. So every round of Eldrazi is going to make this uh, great. The only thing I'm worried about is uh, I I said this about um, Zakama, where they they'd have to print a better dinosaur. Uh, they printed a better dinosaur, and there's a very good chance they give us some colorless Eldrazi with a five-color ability that does something uh, absolutely redonkulous. I agree, it's hard to top Zuladoc. I would not rule out the ability to top it. Are you at all worried it would show up in the Commander deck? Mm, that seems unlikely, because it just came out last summer. Okay. And it's like it's widely available. There are still plenty of CMM packs on shelves. The the thing is that outside of that chance, which by the way would only be a regular a regular version and a premium foil version, uh, because there is a premium uh, collector version of the decks that is expected to be relatively right. low allocation, similar to the forty k premiums. Um, if it showed up there, then yeah, that might interfere with the ten dollar EAs taking off. But I think it's entirely more likely that there are going to be a they're going to reprint a bunch of the ones from BFC era alongside right. a bunch of new ones, and then whether or not Zuladoc remains the best Eldrazi commander, it probably fits in the ninety nine of the other commander anyway right. because it's just too good. Okay, uh, I'm with you on that. the The foil extended arts are at thirty five. There's not that many of them, 
but I don't feel like there's enough that I'd want to try taking a bite off of it. And at 35, I would need it to go like rocket ship level to 60 or $70 to really be worth it on the percentage basis. So yeah, I can, I can see where you're coming from here. It's, it's worth pointing out we've already seen the art on the cover of these decks. So we know there is a new Eldrazi commander. Right. It's called The deck is called Eldrazi Incursion and says start small Eldrazi smash. And it's a multi-armed Eldrazi that we've never seen before with a bunch of eyes embedded in its shoulders. I can't wait to find out what kind of foolishness this does. All right. What's your first selection this week? Uh, speaking of things that we just found out about, uh, we also were given a peek at Assassin's Creed that's coming up uh, soon. Uh, this one will not have any commander decks. It's only going to be available in Beyond Boosters and Collector Boosters and Bundles, I believe. So I went looking for things that are Assassins or like Assassins, and there's a couple things that I'm going to mention in an article on Friday, but one of them that really jumped out at me, uh, since Enzo is a five-color uh, commander. He's got he's one of black to cast, but he's got a five-color ability, so you can just add whatever you want. Uh, there's an Assassin Lord uh, that they put into Dominaria United Commander named Ramses the Assassin Lord, who's got Death Touch. Your Assassins get plus one, plus one. And uh, funnily enough, whenever a player loses the game, if they were attacked this turn by an Assassin you controlled, you win the game. So the way this works, and this is a you know, commander thing, if you kill somebody with an assassin or you attack somebody with an assassin and then manage to kill that player, the other two players are just done, which is so commander. It is so very at the heart of the foolishness. There is, uh, you know, we've got, since it's from the um, Dominaria United uh, we let me make sure that we only have the one version available in foil. And yes, there are there's an etched foil. Maybe I should be picking the etched foil instead. Actually, I think I want to change this to the etched foil version. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so there's it's about the same price. It's around a quarter, fifty cents a piece, depending on uh, your shipping levels. And uh, this is going to just rock it up. I'm going to change this on the spreadsheet to the foil-etched version in a second here. So I want you to pick up a brick of these for under a dollar, and you're going to be looking to move them out at like three or four bucks when people start building all kinds of assassin decks. Yeah, I guess my question is, is that actually going to happen? I, I don't have the same faith in assassins from Assassin's Creed what? as I do in di- dinosaurs from from Ixalan. The, I think that it's likely that Enzo gets built a decent amount for a month or two when that set comes out, but I don't see him settling in the top 20 for the year. Sure. I'm not arguing that he's going to be a top 20 commander for the year, but I'm saying that there's going to be enough people building this to push these uh, prices from 75 cents to three bucks. That's all I'm saying. Could be, but I mean, to me, a a dollar to three dollars doesn't get me anywhere unless I get a buy list to match if it gets if it goes like 75 cents to a dollar 50 on buy list and i managed to pick up 20 at that price that's cool i'll send it in with a buy list order so i'm definitely i'm definitely not buying dollar things to out them at three because by the time you like wrap that package and put a stamp on it you're back yeah, on a dollar i agree that's I, I believe this is more of a brick play and you want to get a bunch of them and buy list them all at once and then you're going to feel pretty great about that 
I, I guess the question is, I, I would want to see another foil etch that has taken, that has been a must include in a recent commander and has managed to go a dollar to three dollars, something that was very specific. There's probably some examples that were associated with Pantlaza, but I'd have to go back and just double check to feel better about it. Sure, sure. Uh, my next selection this week is Ozolith the Shattered Spire, which is the fourth most played commander card out of March of the Machine at 56,000 decks, 6% of all green decks running it. It does exactly what the plus one plus one counter themed decks want cards to do because it puts an extra counter on things in, if you're going to put one on something. Same kind of thing as the original Hardened Scales. And then it also has two other relevant pieces of text. One is one in a green tap put a counter on something so it can proactively use its own static ability and then it can cycle for two if that is not what you need at the time so it's seen very solid play overall and has drifted up from around five dollars into the ten dollar range since its release in the late spring of last year and now we're looking at the foil extended arts being down to about 41 listings near mint sitting around 10 or 11 dollars no real steep ramp yet but if you look at the amount of copies that are selling, it does sell onesie, twosie per day, which is about what you want to see for the, a foil extended art rare. And it's on an upward trajectory, has been ever since August. Leads me to believe that this is the kind of card where they're not going to reprint it for a while. And in however many years it gets without a secret layer reprint or a Commander Masters 5 reprint or whatever, these probably get from 10 to $20 plus. I can't argue with this in any way. Uh, the The timing sounds about right. Your logic about as long as it can avoid a reprint, you're in the money. And there's just not an easy place to pop it in. We do have, you know, a lot of places where it could be popped in. You know, there's always a secret layer. There's always a special guest. But that's just every card at this point that has commander appeal. So I'm I'm with you on this. It's on the right trajectory. It's it's heading up. There's only so many vendors. Uh, any huge walls on it? Now one person's got a wall at 13. That's only 15 copies though. Yeah. No, this seems super solid. If anything else, if you have a deck that wants this effect, then you should definitely snag your personal copy now, and uh, enjoy it greatly. It should be made clear that the best time to buy these was indeed last summer. There were people that you know, people that have walls now probably bought them at five bucks in the summer, and they're already happy to exit between ten and fifteen. But you know, short of a reprint, which doesn't seem likely, given that it was only you know, this is still technically in print in standard for the next two years. So it seems much more likely that it gets some some breathing space. And given how strongly how well it's doing in EDH, if for some reason a hardened scale style deck shows up in standard or pioneer this might well be part of it you know if the effect is good once we like having more of it you know hardened scales will have some number of these as well so i'm i'm for it at every point and you know you bring up a good point sometimes uh we're highlighting cards that have started an upward trajectory and we can't always know when the low point is but the best we can do is identify when a card is on the upward swing so that we can get in before it swings too much higher. Yeah, and the, the the trend line I've seen on most things that have taken off has been pretty standard. You know, it's the four to six months after release is the low. 
you know that's that's advice we've been given for a day giving people for a decade and it still largely holds true it's a little bit longer these days than it used to be just like at the end of the old set but you're right about four to six in terms of lows that's what i've seen a lot of when i'm going back and looking at you know trajectories of various cards tell me about your final selection on cards to watch uh, my other pick is a card that has had uh, some interesting highs as an uncommon. I'm talking about Pitiless Plunderer, who uh, got a special guest version in the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. You can get the Borderless Foils for $19 right now. This is a crazy popular commander card. It's in around 131,000 commander decks since it came up. Uh, it's gotten uh, it's gone up about 5 bucks since December, speaking of upward trends. We know that it's going to get a surge foil, but that's going to be in a regular frame, and so uh, we're we're not going to get anything as cool looking as this special guest version, unless they you know uh, you know hit us with a secret layer version. Totally reasonable. They could redo a special guest. I wouldn't rule that out as well. There's just a lot of ways in which this is uh, a popular card worthy of reprinting. It ends up in all kinds of decks, and uh, you should definitely upgrade whatever copies you have right now to this clearly sweetest version of the card. It's the kind of thing that can show up in a secret layer. There is, I'm not super stoked to be chasing it just as it catches a reprint in the Fallout decks and NCBs, but I agree with you wholeheartedly that so far this is the best version we've seen, and I certainly put the copy that I pulled out of my LCI uh, packs aside to put into a deck. I think, I think it went into Corvold, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, but could just as easily be in black-white tokens. Yeah, so I think you're right. There is the surge foil, but I'm not terribly worried about it impacting the price of this at all, considering the difference in art and borderless and everything. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think it does have some impact, but again, 130,000 decks is a, a true super staple. And I would imagine that this version will be preferred enough that a lot of collector types or people that are looking for, you know, not scared to spend money on their EDH decks may well prefer this. And if it dodges a, you know, a double, a triple tap inside a secret layer for the year, you know, between here and next spring, I think you're, you're probably right. So what's your favorite of these picks? Mm, Zuladoc. I think Zuladoc is the most likely. I think you're probably right on that, especially with uh, non-foils being just $10 on the EA version. That's hard to argue with. I, I think your point that it could show up in the deck itself is the biggest risk. If it if it dodges a reprint yes. of any kind here, then I, I think this is a rocket ship. Uh, even if it's in there as a regular, I don't think the EA version is going to take much of a hit. So I And besides, if you're buying this deck... Um, you you're, you're going to keep the Zula doc anyway. Well, as I said earlier, though, it's not just a regular this time. Usually we get to go, well, it's a, in a commander deck, but it's just a regular version, but not this time. This time we're getting a fancy new, like, silver, silvery premium foil version. Some new version of, of uh, you know, Surge oh, yeah, foil they, or whatever. They told us some some new foiling thing that they're doing. That's right. Yeah, those are going to be $150 decks. So that, that de- definitely factors in. But... You know, if it if it dodges that reprint, then yeah, this is this looks very good to me. 
Moving on, tons of news, some of which we've already touched on out of Chicago. So let's talk, I guess, Modern Horizons 3, even though it comes out after Thunder Junction, was probably the one that caught most people's attention uh, as the, the probably the biggest release of the year. So we've got all sorts of info here that we should plow through. The previews begin May 21st. The full card image gallery will release on May 31st. The global launch will be June 14th. So by the second or third week of June, you should have Modern Horizons 3 cards in your hands. Alongside the Aldrazi being teased out, they also confirmed that we are finally getting the Allied Fetch reprint that has been on deck since KTK. Forever, yeah. That that was 2015. So that's nine years (laughs) they went without printing the Allied Fetches. That is surprising. (laughs) The I don't think any of us in the MTG Finance community would have guessed that's what they would have done. There were plenty of opportunities along the way where they could have reprinted these and chose not to, but the, this was the master plan. Interestingly, we are getting multiple versions here, just as we did with MH2. I didn't see any mention of foil etched. There are foil etched cards in the set, but they didn't show off that treatment as being associated with the fetches themselves. So it right. r- remains to be seen whether that, whether you can match your MH2 etched foil fetches to your MH3s. They are giving us all new art, not just on the, on the non-basic versions of the fetches, but all versions of the fetches. And they're probably doing that because, unlike the enemy fetches, which were originally released in Zendikar, the Allied fetches were originally released in Onslaught, and that was prior to the modern card frame. So the original Allied fetches already have old border foil frames. So to make the retro foil frames a little more interesting here, they are not reusing that older art, which frankly I think is a good thing because I don't I'm yes. not partial to the original five pieces of art. I think they're lack dynamic tension. They are kind of washed out. Uh, thinking specifically of the flooded strand. So this time they're giving us five all-new pieces of art on the regulars. They're giving us five entirely different new pieces of art on borderless versions. And it looks like there are extended art versions as well. That one confuses me, because if there is borderless, retro, regular, extended, and foil etched, that's got to be at least one version too many. Like, I don't know why you need borderless and extended art. I think most players still haven't even grokked that those two things are different. Like, borderless art goes right down near the bottom, whereas extended art is the same art as was on the regular version, but pushed out to the edges. And I think for most players, they, they just completely miss that subtlety, and I don't think that those two things need to exist side by side. That said, there will be people that, you know, if the foil retro stays as good as it has been lately in things like Ravnica Remastered. Uh, I think people will be happier with these foil fetches than they were with the MH2 ones. That certainly is a good thing. And the prices on these were high enough that these are a great price anchor in the rare slot. Unlike the Fallout decks, which have the fairly bad filter lands gumming up their collector boosters, these should help to justify the price point. Now, That being said, in MH2, the 
enemy fetches did nothing but go down in price and have never really recovered two years later. So I would imagine that if prices start high on the fetches out of MH3, assuming a very large print run as would be expected, you're probably going to want to sell them early and buy back in later. Now, we didn't know how much Modern Horizons 2 product was about to enter circulation. You know, we didn't know that it would be trickled onto the market for endless amounts of time as it stayed ridiculously popular. Uh, it, but it, notably, it's not just the basic version of the enemy fetches that stayed low, that got low and stayed low. It was all versions. Like, you can still get uh, a Scalding Tarn uh, for a surprisingly low price. If you go, like, you can get a old border foil Scalding Tarn for under $40, under $40 which blows my it- mind. Part of it was that old school vintage legacy players weren't super impressed with the specific foiling on the retro foils. Part of it was that the CBs were printed at a very high level and it was the regular boxes that were kept in print for better part of two years, not the CBs. They, they were never reprinted, but they were printed at such a high level that there was just tons of them around. And, right. it, and part of it is the number of treatments. If they had only had regular regular foil and, say, retro foil and retro, then it would have been a whole different animal. I think that you would have there would have been less total copies in the market. But when you do all of these variants, depending on how the slots are allocated when we get that breakdown for the collector boosters, it's going to be like they are functionally printed at a higher rate than a regular rare, would be my guess. And that's the kind of situation where it's going to be hard for prices to take off, and especially given the price memory on the MH2 versions. So that leads me to believe that pre-order pricing and early stage pricing, is you're going to want to lean into that. You're going to want to sell and then buy them later. Uh, they showed off some other cool stuff. They said that the there are serialized cards in MH3. They are going to be out of 250 not 500 So likely to be very pricey. They confirmed that at least the three Eldrazi are in serialized. It wasn't clear to me in the first look article whether it was only the three Eldrazi, but I'm guessing it's not. I think it's probably beyond that. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say it's the the full cadre of mythics from the set. And maybe it includes some special guests. There was art floating around this weekend for Solitude, catching a special guest reprint here. In new borderless art, <clears throat> which begs the question: Are they also? Did they also reprint Fury? <laughs> a special guest thing. It seems real likely that they decided early on. You know, you don't just randomly decide a couple months ago that you're going to be uh, special guesting these because you got to collate them, you got to get them into the packs. So I would imagine that the full cycle is in the special guest slot, but we'll see. I I just yeah. don't think they can. Uh, they can retool their printing processes quickly enough to adjust to the banning. I saw some pro traders complaining about that that potential reprint. I mean, Fury obviously is awkward um, and would be a miss, but the rest of them are pricey enough, unlike the enemy fetches. Most of the elemental incarnations went up uh, since release because at release they didn't really have a home. People had... Upfront kind of thought it was going to be Grief Solitude with Ephemerate. And mm-hmm. people toyed around with that for a little bit. And then it kind of faded away. 
and then subtlety was on the menu which later found a home in rhinos but that kind of faded away for a bit and then people doubled back into fury and fury became the top of the incarnations and then basically sat there in black red doing doing nasty things until it got banned but you know if you have something like an edgar markov the allied fetches and the full cycle of incarnations you already have a great set right the special guest isn't going to need much help on that yeah and you know you've got foil uh borderless furies are still selling for 25 if you could get 20 for the special guest version you know you're still doing pretty good they also showed off that they are going to do a cycle of planeswalkers uh in the style of magic origins where you had like jace friend's prodigy starts as a looter creature on one side and then once it meets a certain condition it gets to flip the example they gave was a johnny nactyl pariah one in a white for a one two cat warrior when a johnny nactyl pariah enters the battlefield create a two one white cat warrior creature token Whenever one or more other cats you control die, you may exile a Johnny, then return him to the battlefield transformed under his owner's control. That turns him into a Johnny Nactyl Avenger, a planeswalker with three loyalty. Plus two gives a plus one plus one counter to each cat you control. Zero creates a two one white cat warrior creature token. When you do, if you control a red permanent other than a Johnny, he deals damage equal to the number of creatures you control to any target. And then minus four is each opponent chooses an artifact or creature, an enchantment, and a planeswalker from among the non-land permanents they controlled and sacrifices the rest. This is a very strong card in Ginny Faye and Jetmere. <laughs> They're getting to know their audience pretty well here. This is a <laughs> this is a for two mana you get two cats. And in Ginny Faye and Jetmere, that two one cat can be upgraded to either a two two cat or a three one dog. And then Whenever one or more other cats you control die, you can exile a Johnny. Cats die all the time in Ginny Faye and Jetmere because you're making tokens. They're turning into cats. They have haste. They attack. Something blocks them. And that it immediately flips a Johnny. And then you get to use it after that combat to put a plus one, plus one counter on all the cats, turning the two, two haste into three threes, or create another cat, which can be a bigger cat or a dog on the backside. And then if you have a red thing, which you will, because Ginny Faye, Jetmere, etc. are red cards, uh, you get to do damage equal to the total number of creatures you control. So Cliff has just played a 7-7 dragon, and but you have <laughs> a total of seven creatures. So when a Johnny flips for zero, he just kills a dragon. <laughs> this is a very good red-white tokens planeswalker. So you're right about all those things, but I'm going to invite you to consider two other things. Number one... This is Warrior. So Najila is going to go crazy with this card. Those decks are all going to immediately slot it in. It's two Warriors for two mana, and that's exactly what that deck wants anyway. Sure. Good point. And that's going to party on real hard. The other thing is, this is just a very good aggro card in a deck that's White Weenie or uh, you know Boros Weenie, because when you flip this, it's a zero to just make a token and ping something. To, and it's any target. You don't even have to like dome a creature to get a blocker out of the way. You can just go upstairs. So this is a really, really pushed creature. So and I'm I'm just super impressed at the card, and I I'm honestly terrified of uh, the aggro decks that will grow up in modern around it. And part of a cycle of five. Yeah, I can't wait. So, you know, it's been true 
since Aftermath that we haven't gotten much in the way of Planeswalkers. They're just giving us a smattering in each standard set. But MH3 is a perfect place to put more of these origin styles because Planeswalkers are very easy to attack in Commander, and that's basically what's killing them in the magic design files. But ones that start as creatures and then flip into Planeswalkers is a whole different animal. There's also the fact that they showed off that these are going to have textured foil versions. And having owning the textured foil, Jeweled Lotus, and a bunch of the other stuff from that release, they look really good in hand. So these are probably going to look amazing as well. And the backside of a Johnny in textured foil, I can tell just looking at the flat version that it's going to ref- reflect light in a fantastic way. It's so going to be hot. That's a cool... That's a cool cycle. It So that cycle plus the Eldrazi is probably eight of the 20 Mythics. Because I would imagine we're getting three Mythic Eldrazi, five Mythic Flip Planeswalkers. Right. And then it, you can ignore Solitude, etc. Because that'll be in a special guest slot that will only show up probably in Collector Boosters, if I'm not mistaken. Just seeing what else jumped out. There was a cycle of free spells. They showed off the green one. It is called Flare of Cultivation. These spells are going to be generally worse, I think, overall than the uh, Fierce Guardianship style ones that trigger off you having a commander in play or the original ones that let you pitch a card because they they force the sacrifice of a non-token creature on color. So, you know, in right. Commander, you, you go Bird's Paradise or Land of War, Elf, and on turn two, you Flare of Cultivation. You get to search your library for up to two basic land cards, reveal those cards, put one on the battlefield tapped, and the other into your hand. That's basically a Kodoma, Kodama's Reach. It's pretty good. It's it's good. I'm not sure. And I think it'll see plenty of play. I want to see the rest of the cycle because I'm doubting that this is the best of the bunch. I, I agree with you. They have probably not shown us the best of the bunch on this particular uh, cycle of foolishness um it occurs to me that the black one might be the best because black want has more reasons to want creatures to go to the yard let's see uh you sacrifice a non-token black creature rather than pay the cost what is something black always wants to do it feels like it's going to be some kind of uh creature kill ability but there's that's already been a thing for a long time you can pay one black mana and kill target creature whenever you want to you got a lot of ways to do that. Bone splinters effects are pretty it common. Could be, it could be like kill, murder two creatures. I'm thinking it's going to be some kind of discard effect. Could be that too. Could be that too. But I mean, gre- do you really want a, be- a a strong discard effect free spell alongside grief's situation? I mean, probably I not. <laughs> it's not going to be like just a, a life drain effect. It uh, probably isn't going to be a reanimation effect. I, uh, I would what? guess it is something like three black, sack a black creature, murder two creatures. All right. I can I can get behind that. That seems pretty good. I don't know how good that is in modern. It seems totally fine in EDH where <clears throat> there's plenty of reasons for me to put. Because in Maldrotha, for instance, I could use that to go Baleful Strix into that, kill the person's first play of their commander. Strix goes to the yard. Maldrotha brings it back later. That's all fine and good, dandy. Yep. Yep. I'm with you on that. They, they showed us a Psychotog throwback called Psychic Frog, which I don't know how playable this card is in any given format, but it's certainly a great nostalgia throwback. And the art on the borderless version is amazing. Psychic Frog, blue, black, one, two. You can tell that the designers think they're being cute this whole set, right? 
Whenever Psychic Frog deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker, draw a card. Discard a card, put a plus one plus one counter on Psychic Frog. Exile three cards from your graveyard. It gains flying until end of turn. So, I think I no you idea. are understating what this card is capable of. Uh, so, do you think, does this strike you as a modern playable aggro card? I don't know enough about modern to make that statement. I just know that uh, this is an incredibly difficult card to block profitably. And we see that Emrakul has a madness cost. I wouldn't be shocked to see madness as a sub-theme in this set. So uh, all kinds of shenanigans. Like if you don't have a block, just as a 1-2 with the draw a card when it hits ability, that's already very good. And the fact that you can pump it for no mana, as long as you're willing to pay this price, is a, a thing that I, I don't think we should understand. And that's not even plus one, plus one till end of turn. That's a counter. That's always good. So I, I think this is going to be better than it you think it is. We'll see. I can see this being the kind of thing that Spike tries to make work and then gives up on after a couple of days. Sure, sure. They showed us the portrait art for Lelia, the Blade Reforged, uh, previously a commander card, two and a red for a 2-2 Spirit Warrior with haste. When it attacks, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Whenever one or more cards are put into exile from your library and or your graveyard, put a plus one plus one counter on Lelia. This is interesting and modern from the perspective of being able to delve to get Lelia bigger. So in some kind of blue-red prowessy sure. kind of build. I mean, it goes right into Murktide decks if you want. Maybe. I mean, it's it's hard to say what slots are even available for this to challenge for in the, in the decks you mentioned. They also revealed that one of the cards that is being brought into Modern that was previously not Modern Legal is Priest of Titania, which in theory improves elf decks because it can tap for green equal to the number of elves. The problem with that is Orcish Bowmasters is a thing which can just very easily kill the priest if the priest is ahead of a lord. So, I don't know. Let's see what other elves they give us. If they're giving us Priest of Titania, they're probably giving us some pretty tasty elves. So maybe the intent here is that they will force an elf deck into modern. Let's see what else is in the set. With, without looking, because I'm looking right now, uh, what is what do you think the near-mint price of the FNM version of Priest of Titania is at right now? Is that a Rebecca Gway art? Uh, it is the original Rebecca Gway, Rebecca Gway art, yes. The, the F&M is? It's from the F&M. It was uh, originally done in like 2003. It was an F&M given away. Uh, I'm going to say 30. Oh, oh, you sweet summer child. Uh, it's a $95 card. Wow. And that... It's probably driven by legacy legacy elves and eating. Legacy elves is probably my guess too, but only about a couple playsets were bought over the weekend, so people haven't started specking on this. I I mean there's only three copies available on four copies available at near mint foil under one fifty. So if you feel like getting spicy and you want to put in a hundred hoping that you can uh, out it for two hundred, uh, all it's gonna take is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people saying i want this card and you know you can't have just one you got to have the play set i mean you can't have it not match i mean oh oh gosh so mh3 is looking very strong we already have a massive waiting list in the brochure in our i saw that yeah the discord is popular it's gonna be a good set uh we barely scratched 
the surface of what could be in it, and we know that MH2 ended up having 30 or 40 cards, matter and modern, so I would imagine we're looking at something similar this time. And a lot of it's going to overlap with EDH, so it should be a good summer. They also showed us a bunch of the Assassin's Creed stuff, and I, I want to just start with the release dates here. This is previews June 18th, card image gallery, and previews complete June 21st. This is releasing Global Tabletop launches July 5th, so this just comes out two or three weeks after MH3. Uh, MH3 comes out, official release date is June 14th, so yes. Yeah, so three weeks later, the the Assassin's Creed stuff comes out. So <laughs> you're going to be opening, still cracking MH3 packs, and, you're, and they're going to be shoving the rest of the previews for Assassin's Creed in your face. This was, event- or, this was originally supposed to be a slightly different kind of set, but now it's it's got these new what are the boosters called for this they're called beyond boosters so um they they're not doing commander decks for this and that is important there's no guaranteed like you can get all the assassins in one commander deck kind of thing so your basic booster are seven cards with one basic land three uncommons one rare one traditional foil uncommon rare mythic and then one showcase uncommon rare mythic, which so could also be foil. Can also be traditional foil, yes. Yeah. So this is like their their new attempt, similar to aftermath last year, to have a smaller set size and try to lure you in this time with more video game IP. I'm not. I don't know how strong Assassin's Creed is going to be. I mean, most of us have played one or two of these games along the way. Some of us have probably been fans the whole time playing them. Some of the big reveals they showed was Ezio <laughs> Auditore da Firenze. No idea how close I am there. One in a black for a 3-2 human assassin legend with menace. And it says assassin spells you cast have free running. And as you mentioned earlier, whenever Ezio deals combat damage to a player, you can pay Wooberg if that player has 10 or less life. When you do, that player loses the game. So they're really starting the game at 30 life against your deck, which is pretty cool. That is pretty neat. And then the free running is the important part because people right. weren't sure what this was when it was first revealed, but they did show off enough cards to to give so us the information. Free running is that. basically prowl, except it also includes uh, commanders hitting. So if an assassin or a commander has dealt dam- combat damage this turn, you can cast the spells for double black. James, I'm going to run a question by you. Vein Ripper is a vampire what? Assassin. That's right, buddy. It's an assassin. Yeah, that's cool. So you can cast a spell for its free-running cost if you dealt combat damage to a player this turn with an assassin or commander. So if Enzio got in or some other assassin got in, then all your other assassins only cost double black. Yes. Seems good. Seems good. Uh, They also showed off Altair Ib Lahad. Wow. I'm glad you wanted to try that. You want to try again? I'm I'm not going to judge you. That, that's as close as I'm going to get Okay. Uh, on uh, on that particular attempt. Mardu for a 3-3 human assassin with first strike. When it attacks, exile up to one target assassin creature card from your graveyard with a memory counter on it. Then for each creature card you own ex- in exile with a memory counter, create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of it. Exile those tokens at end of combat. That is a very cool card. So basically, it attacks. One of your dead assassins comes back as, as a token, but all the others that have, that's happened to 
prior do as well. So you're building up this token army that's attacking and attacking and attacking. It fits right into the Ezio deck, obviously, because it's five color. Seems fun. Uh, this is this is a great one to build your deck around because every time you, uh, if you can keep casting this bad boy, uh, you're going to keep building up the memory counter assassins. And uh, their memory counter seems to be a thing that is in multiple cards. So we'll find out uh, just how synergistic all of this is going to be. They also showed us a legendary artifact called the Animus for two casting cost. At the beginning of your end step, exile up to one target legendary creature card from a graveyard with a memory counter on it to wit. Tap until your next turn, target legendary creature you control becomes a copy of target creature card in exile with a memory counter on it. Activate only as a sorcery. So that's kind of a Lazav esque ability where you're you're looking at dead creatures and turning other legendary creatures into copies of it. Seems solid. Like, it looks like there's a lot of synergy being set up here. There's also some cool, like, cards that jump out at me as being the kinds of things you're going to want to put in a collection if you care about aesthetics and magic. I mean, Leonardo da Vinci and Cleopatra as characters in magic, it's got, like, a historical slash video game context, so I think that's pretty cool. And the borderless Leonardo da Vinci with him painting the Mona Lisa seems likely to be very popular. The Cleopatra less so. That one looks like pretty standard art, but the Leonardo looks very good. And these and are going to be in, uh, those are going to be the serialized ones in their native languages in a 500 instead of a 250 like we're getting in Modern Horizons 3. Right. So Leonardo da Vinci is two and a blue for a 3-3 human artificer. Three double blue until end of turn. Thopters you control have base power and toughness XX where X is the number of cards in your hand. And then two and a blue... Sl- Tap, draw a card, then discard a card. If the discarded card was an artifact, exile it from your graveyard. If you do, create a token that's a copy of it, except it's a 0-2 Thopter. So first of all, if people that don't know, Leonardo da Vinci had some of the original drawings for potential helicopters, and his blueprint-style drawings for various mechanical doodads and vehicles are almost certainly the inspiration for what we got in the Brothers War, and for modern-day helicopters. So all of this is super, super cool. And Da Vinci would be an auto-include now in my Brea decks because it turns your Thopters into bigger things and allows you to swing for the win, so it's got an overrun effect built into it. And the it's a looter that also makes additional Thopters. So that's just wins across the board. Cleopatra, Exiled Pharaoh, also a mythic from this set, is a two-black-green, two-four human noble. It's got, at the beginning of your end step, put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two other target legendary creatures. And then whenever a legendary creature with counters on it dies, draw a card for each counter on it, you lose two life. So this fits right into Atraxa Creature Counters Matters, where you can stack the triggers in your end step to put counters on Atraxa and then proliferate. Just do anything you want. (laughs) And then then if they, on the following turn, somebody's like, nah, 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 we don't like attracts in play. Let's go ahead and sweep that whole board. Cleopatra is still going to give you two cards and uh, you're going to lose some life, but you're probably not going to care because Atraxa has uh, lifelink and probably will gain that back for you at some point. So both very good cards in their respective archetypes. The assassin themes look relatively strong. There are reprints that they showed us of Temporal Trespass, Cover of Darkness, Sword of Feast and Famine with some pretty cool art. Uh, I actually think I like the regular art better than the borderless in this particular case. The other card they showed us is uh, Haystack, and this is going to be a card that people are going to groan a lot about in Commander 
for, you know, one white artifact, two tap target creature you control phases out. And phasing is impossible to interact with. So if you can manage to get this ability to resolve, your commander will not be wrathed. It will not be exiled. They can't sunfall it away. They can't put it to the bottom of your deck. They can't put minus X counters on it. Haystack is one of my early, like, pay attention to this card one, because I think that in six months, it's going to be a surprisingly expensive card. The thing is, there's multiple versions, and it's a small set, so you're going to have the aftermath problem. This should sure. end up where only a small handful of cards can be worth anything. If it, if it is modern legal, that certainly helps some of the cards, but most of them, you know, like... Most of them, yeah. Yeah, most of them are, it's not going to be relevant because this is pretty clearly an EDH-focused set. True. There is a uh, ancillary release, a starter kit with two decks that has uh, Ezio Blade of Vengeance and Evior Battle Ready. The Ezio Blade of Vengeance is a 5-5 five, five for 5 with Death Touch that says whenever an assassin you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. If people Ding. aren't buying... If people aren't buying the starter kit but are building the other Ezio, then they're going to need that card because that you're going to want the stuff that that turns your assassins into Ophidians. Yeah, you you can't argue with that. And uh we'll we'll see what kind of assassin accessories go crazy. Uh I've already got a list I'm building for my article on Friday. Yeah, so I th- I think I probably want a serialized Leonardo da Vinci. That seems pretty cool. Uh especially cuz it's the kind of thing they're never going to go back and reprint that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, un- the until Itali- they give us serialized masters. <laughs> yeah, in uh, 2032 or so, sure. The um, So Assassin's Creed set looks solid, probably better than Aftermath, but we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, I would imagine, given the set size, you know, that's the, that's the biggest drag, is when they give you multiple versions of cards um, in a small set size. That functionally means you've just got more of the card. They also showed us some additional stuff for Bloomberg Thunder Junction. Oh, that too. Yeah. Which is, which is actually the set that's coming out, which is actually the set that's coming out before both of these other two. Thunder Junction is the next <laughs> standard set. I think it's in mid, mid April, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that included some of the planeswalkers, right? We got to see the new Oko. Well, there's only one planeswalker cause it's a, a, a standard set. Right. And yes. so what, what was the Oko text? The Oko, I've got right over here, uh, is pretty ridiculous. Two green-blue, Oko the ringleader. At the beginning of combat on your turn, this is just a static ability, Oko becomes a copy of up to one target creature you control until end of turn, except he has hexproof. So you can just turn Oko into whatever you want, uh, up to one target creature. So you can do it, you can choose not to do it. It's completely up to you, it's all upside. So plus one, draw two cards. Do you even care what the rest of the text is? (laughs) <laughs> if you've committed a crime this turn discard a card otherwise discard two cards so you know i mean i it's, I, I do care about that text because it's relevant to the first first part. right uh <laughs> minus one could create a three three green elk creature token and then minus five for each other non-land permanent you control create a, to- a token that's a copy of that permanent so just copy your whole board this is a very good card at least in the commander context um and I could see it being pretty solid and standard too. I don't know about Pioneer so... or beyond. But the thing is, like, they don't get a chance to respond to Oko turning into a hexproof creature unless they've got something that can target Oko. 
as right. a planeswalker. It's, is it's what a I'm triggered saying. ability. Like it, the ability goes on the stack, but when when it resolves, then you choose the creature. Like if you've got if you've got like a leyline binding that can come in at flash speed, then you can deal with you can deal with the trigger. But right. but something like a fatal push or swords isn't going to help you when Oko turns into the biggest thing on the table. That is correct. Uh, and thank goodness we can't infinitely Oko with doubling season. Committing a crime is targeting and or doing damage to your opponent or their stuff. I missed where that is. Did they tell us what doing a crime is? I can't remember if it's damage, but I know for a fact I that Mero was outlining that it's targeting or messing with your opponent's stuff. I'm not sure if it means also doing damage, but I think it's basically if you have targeted your opponent or any of their permanents, then you've committed a crime. So I would imagine that most of the time you're going to uh, turn Oko into a creature, attack, deal damage. Now you've committed a crime. You can... When it turns into a creature until end of turn, you lose access to the Planeswalker abilities, yes? Uh, let's see. It becomes a copy of that creature. Uh, it doesn't say it loses other abilities, so I'm going to go with no. But I'm not rules person enough to know if there's an automatic thing. Like, I know if equipment turns into a creature, it can't be equipped to something. So there I mean, might I'm be ass- some... I'm assuming you lose those loyalty abilities. But yeah, I need a... I need a confirmation on that bottom line it's probably not going to be too tough to draw to discard one <laughs> you're, right. you're going to be set you're going to build around this to set up to to be able to do exactly that right and the other abilities are equally interesting this looks like a strong commit a, a strong planeswalker to me uh, stronger than most of the other ones we've gotten recently they also did the wanted poster showcase. I'm not a huge fan of this specific art. The frame itself is fine. Uh, that's playing out pretty much exactly as we predicted. Uh, wanted poster showcase just seemed like low-hanging fruit for a Western set. They did show us another legendary creature in that frame. Tiny Bones, the pickpocket. Skeleton rogue last seen in... Not Battle Bond. Jumpstart. It was Jumpstart. 1-1 Death Touch. Whenever... Tiny Bones deals combat damage to a player. You may cast target non-land permanent card from that player's graveyard, and mana of any type can be spent to cast that spell. I like this very much to go into my ninjas decks. It's a 1-1 death touch for one black. That's perfect setup for ninjas. And I can either let it hit or swap the ninja out into it. That's a pretty cool card. They also showed us Fibble Thip Lost on the Range. One double blue for a 1-1 homunculus. Ward 2, you may look at the top card of your library at any time. The top card of your library has plot. The plot cost is equal to its mana cost. You may plot non-land cards from the top of your library. I do not know what plot does. I don't think they've shown us that. I don't think so either, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was listed someplace. Crime and Punishment is back as a showcase... uh, newspaper showcase theme these are i think it's the the creatures and planeswalkers are on the wanted posters and when and spells are on the newspaper showcase because it's supposed to be like a recording of the event of a spell having been cast so thought sees reprint here uh with pretty cool art actually they also showed off sword sword of wealth and power just when you thought the sword cycle was done, they found a tricky way to keep it rolling. This is three for a sword. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, as per usual, and has protection from instants and from sorceries. 
That's, That's pretty, pretty good. nice, actually. Pretty yeah. nice. And if you, if you can get that on your commander, they're going to have some trouble. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token. And whenever you cast next cast an instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. That's a pretty good sword. And the art on it looks great. Hopefully the borderless art's even better. Cool card. The sword doesn't help you get through, but if you can get through with whatever effect you want, like getting a treasure is good, but a free copy is is pretty ridiculous. We're going to see a lot of commanders uh, playing this card. Nexus of Becoming was another mythic shown off. At the beginning of combat on your turn, draw a card. Then you may exile an artifact or creature card from your hand. If you do, create a token that's a copy of the exiled card, except it's a 3-3 golem artifact creature in addition to its other types. That seems good. You draw a card, then you exile an artifact or creature, and you get the abilities of that creature, except it's a 3-3. Interesting. We're going to see uh, some fun commander decks built around this. Certainly some ways to make that pretty nasty. There was also some, some late Fallout cards that we didn't get to talk about because they were revealed in the days after the podcast was recorded last week most dear to my heart and the one i'm going to be chasing in the fanciest version possible is james wandering dad (laughs) thanks guys two and a blue for a human scientist two two four it's got an adventure follow him x double blue investigate x times Tap, add two, spend this mana only to activate abilities. I mean, I've been having a barrel of laughs playing my new Jota's Detective Agency deck, and this fits right in. Perfect card for that deck. It's it's my namesake. Yeah, I'll be going after this card with a vengeance. A bunch of other cool stuff revealed in the Fallout decks. People seemed like pretty down on them early in the week. By the end of the week, I was more medium to moderately positive on, on this release. There are plenty of interesting cards here especially given that the energy cards don't seem like they're going to be parasitic and stranded inside fallout now that we know there's more energy cards coming in mh3 it's entirely possible that that energy will just become as robust as treasures or clues or food or whatever and that there'll be a pretty solid energy commander deck that will post up for years there's some uh really neat uh things going on we've got some fun uh i don't know if you are gonna jenny Faye is already a, a very good deck and doesn't need a lot of help but uh do you think you'd find room for securitron squadron is there or is that just too much uh counters to uh, keep track of things if one in a white for a two two robot with squad three so you can just dump all the mana into it vigilance and when a creature token enters the battlefield put a one one counter on that token yeah, it's that's really pretty good. Easy to, it's going to get out of hand, but it's also a lot of keeping track of things. I, I would at least try it, for sure. It, it seems pretty good. I also liked Sentinel Sarah Lyons. Three red, white, four, four, human knight. Haste. As long as an artifact entered the battlefield under your control this turn, creatures you control get plus two, plus two. Not artifact creatures, just creatures. Yeah. She's got she's got haste. So if an artifact made it into play, she's a 6-6 six, six attacking on the turn you play her for 5. And whenever she attacks with at least two other creatures, she deals damage equal to the number of artifacts you control to target player. 
So again, this could go into like a Brayathopter's deck. There's all sorts of artifact creature decks that can make use of this card. Pretty solid. I think we're going to see some shenanigans with Sean, the father of synths, uh, who is three blue red for the legendary creature human scientist at a 3-4. Whenever you attack, not with him, but whenever you attack, you may take you. I may create a tapped attacking token that's a copy of target attacking legendary creature you control other than Sean, except it's not legendary and it's a synth artifact creature in addition to its other types. When he leaves the battlefield, exile all synths. So you can just put him down, attack with a legendary creature, and then you make a copy of that legendary creature who happens to not be legendary. And you could yeah. keep going. The, the way that's going to work is you're going to do it with Joda, and Joda's going to attack, giving everybody plus five, plus five, and then you're going to put another Joda into play. Everything's going to get plus one, plus one twice off that, plus another plus five, plus five, and they're going to end up plus 12, plus 12. Is that all you're counting to? I mean, it, it seems like you barely got started. Yeah. I mean, the, the, this is a great Joda card that goes into Joda Transformers. It goes into a lot of decks, but I, I think we'll see decks built around Stupid Sean as I'm going to sit down and look at what kind of red and blue legends I really want to be putting copies out. It, it's a pretty strong card because there's a bunch of busted things that are going to happen. <laughs> I like Red Death Shipwrecker, the crab mutant for blue red. It's a 1 3. It taps to go target creature and opponent controls. They draw a card and you add red. Love the politics on all that. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm also a big fan of Marcus the Mutant Mayor. Uh, three blue, re- three blue green for a four-four mutant advisor. Vigilance and trample. When a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. If that creature has a one-one counter on it, if it doesn't, put a one-one counter on it. Notice that does not say one or more, so you can draw multiple cards if multiple creatures with one-one counters hit. Do you know anybody who has decks full of 1-1 counter-enhanced creatures, James? Uh, yeah, Traxa and a whole bunch of other commanders as well. Because then Mutational Advantage is also right up your alley. One green-blue. Permits you control with counters on them. Game hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. Prevent all damage that we be dealt to those permanents this turn. And proliferate. <laughs> the proliferate's so good. <laughs> There's Arcade Ganon, a human doctor, 2-3 for 2 white-blue, taps to draw a card, discard a card, put a quest counter on it. Then, once during each of your turns, you can cast an artifact or human spell from your graveyard with mana value less than or equal to the number of quest counters on Arcade. Strong, strong looter in in uh, human and or artifact-related decks. Pl- plenty of things to be done with that. They showed us Paladin Dance, Steel Maverick, two white for a 3-3 Synth Knight with Vigilance and Lifelink. Exile Paladin, each creature you control that's an artifact or a human gains indestructible until end of turn. We've if seen only this before. He was a human. We've seen this before with Boromir. Well, I mean, you gotta right. exile him, so you don't you don't care if he's a human. Uh, um, it just goes into human decks, that's all. Well no, it goes into artifact creature decks more than human decks, I would imagine. Oh yeah, that too. That too. I'm definitely going to pop it into my uh, Mr. House deck. Yeah, so I guess that's enough for now. Anything else you wanted to highlight? Uh, did you want to talk about Bloomborough today, or do you want to go over those uh, previewed cards next week? Oh, yeah, let's just take a quick look at this Bloomborough stuff. First thing I'll say about this set is it has no humans. It's all animals. We know how well the pet secret layer releases have done. 
There are plenty of Magic players that are suckers for cute animals. This set looks like it's going to be insanely cute. It looks very cute, yes. By way of example, the showcase version of Mabel Heir to Crag Flame. Incredibly nice art. Very, very lovely. Likely to be very, very popular. Don't know how good the card is, but it's a one red white for a 3-3 mouse soldier. Other mice you control get plus one, plus one. When Mabel Heir to Crag Flame enters, create Crag Flame, a legendary colorless equipment artifact token with equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has vigilance, trample, and haste. So, and equip two. So this is a 3-3 that comes with its own equipment that makes it a, if you cast it for five, it's functionally a 4-4 Vigilance Trample Haste. And all the other mice that they print in this set get plus one, plus one. Pretty strong. I don't know how many more mice you're getting, but as as a card, like for instance in Limited, that seems like a bomb. Uh, I'm loving the fact that the set symbol for... Bloomboro is a Canadian maple leaf. I was thinking that too. Like it, it's a straight up maple leaf, right? Yeah, that's going to be very popular up here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they showed Lumra Bellow of the Woods for double blue, double green, not double blue, for an elemental bear. Vigilance Reach. Power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. When it enters, mill four cards and return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So that's a nice Thalia and the Gitrog monster card and a bunch right. and and probably a Lord Windgrace. Thank you, Windgrace card. Yeah, I think uh, Bria the Riptide Rogue, the Otter Rogue for two red blue as a three three with prowess. Other creatures you control have prowess. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, target creature you control can't be blocked this turn. So you can get double prowess on your Monastery Swift Spear. And when you bolt their face, now target creature can't block. It's ridiculous. We're going to see some some really, really crazy cards based around this. Now this does happen, the Bloomborough comes out in September when rotation happens, right? No, interestingly, we were discussing this in the Discord. The Bloomborough comes out mid-August, a month earlier than we would normally expect the standard, uh, the first fall standard set to arrive, and that has us wondering whether we are facing another unannounced release towards Christmas time, like something along the lines of of Lord of the Rings uh, Holiday Edition. Uh, yeah. Um... Maybe they're going to tell us that rotation, uh, it usually happens with the big fall set. So this one coming out in August, uh, we usually get uh, a big fall set in you know late September, early October. So I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, what is Duskmorn's... Pre- presumably, uh, the, presumably the, the rotation is being moved up. But the, the key point I'm making is I hope that they're not giving us MH3+. Plus in november because that's going to piss some people off big time oh yeah yeah there's i i couldn't even speculate we don't have a release date for dusk morn which is the set after bloomborough so maybe that's probably late october based on the schedule yeah so that might be when rotation hits we'll we'll probably be told more about that hopefully yeah i, I just do not go to the mh3 well twice please <laughs> man if they can I don't ever. I don't care whatever additional set they put out there. Just don't make it reprints of something from six months ago. Do you think they learned that lesson from Lord of the Rings quickly enough? I don't think they did. I think they I'd, will. No, they did not learn that lesson because the holiday release was popular. 
that's what I'm saying. A bunch, a bunch of the cards have fired off already, and it didn't make one rings cheaper. Right. So what they're going to do is the same thing next year, not this year. What it did do is make the low end of the that set like go from bulk to sub bulk. <laughs> but the oh best cards have been have been chased in their coolest versions for sure. Overall, this is a very strong set of releases. There's a bunch of cool cards in the Fallout set, some cool cards in Thunder Junction, tons of good stuff coming out of MH3, it would seem. Assassin's Creed looks fine. Bloomboro looks good. And then there's like a horror-themed set probably releasing near Halloween. I forget what that one's yeah, called. that's Duskmorn. Duskmorn. It's a good year. It's looking like a good year. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll... Uh, have more to discuss next week where can folks find you online my friend you can find me online at twitter at word of commander or my articles every friday on mtgprice.com and you folks can find me on twitter at mtg critic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the pro trader discord i'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just 9.99 a month or 109.99 per year you can get early access to this podcast fantastic articles by the best mtg finance minds in the business low-cost group buys and a super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's finance with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for this week, James. Hopefully they don't dump a bunch of news on us again. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you to all the listeners, and we'll see everybody next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Bye.